back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the show. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano. John will be back in the chair Tuesday after the holiday. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to this weekend of uh, NFL football as well. Just two games to go. We got week 17 and 18. Seattle Seahawks got the uh, home finale on Sunday. Every game matters in the race for the playoffs. Let's talk a little Hawks with Michael Sean Dugar of The Athletic. Covers Seahawk football. What's up, Michael Sean? How are you? Doing good. How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. You know, I was thinking about the, the Seahawks this time last year and just reminding myself that I think they had the Jets coming into town um in in the the week 17 game and they were on the outside looking in of the of the playoff picture and needed to win out and they needed some help along the way and they eventually got it now this year at the very least thanks to the last couple of weeks at least you know they're in the driver's seat for one of these wild card spots i'm curious from your vantage point you know you follow the team week in week out you got the pulse of them do they feel like a collectively better unit a more improved unit at this time than they were a season ago uh, that's a good question. Uh, I think they're better in some areas. Like I, I think the pass protection uh, at this point is a little bit better. Um, just I think Abe and Charles have just naturally grown um, from year one to year two. Um, I think that their pass rush is a little better. I don't know if the numbers back that up. But I think like right now they're like sixth in sacks or something. Uh, last year they finished seventh, so it's not like they uh, they stunk it up last year. Um, I do think that uh, overall I trust the back end uh, a little bit more right now, particularly when Devin Witherspoon plays. Um, and then I trust the linebackers a lot more. Um, even though Jordan Brooks is probably not going to play on Sunday, but just having Bobby back um, is such such a difference maker um, than the pairing of, I think it was Jordan Brooks and Cody Barton this time last year. I think Jordan got hurt in the Week 17 game last year. So, uh, yeah, they feel, though, mostly – a similar-ish team. They need to run the ball better, um, be more explosive offensively, uh, limit explosives defensively, you know, um, and get more help from their edge rush group. Like, there's a lot of things that are similar about about the team, which is probably why their record uh, in the field of them feels pretty similar uh, as the situation last year. Is that, uh, you know, within the range of your expectation for them going into the year? Or is, has any part of this season surprised you in any way? Um, another good question. I I can't remember what I said they would be at the beginning of the year. I, maybe nine and eight. I, I felt like they had changed a, a lot of names, but not necessarily gotten noticeably better. I felt that way, particularly up front. Um, like I don't think like they changed out the whole D line. Essentially, you got rid of Al Woods, Puma Ford, uh, Mario Edwards, um, and then I think one other person. Oh, Quentin Jefferson, and then basically swapped all of those guys for Jaron Reed, Mario Edwards Jr. Jamon Jones, um, and at least one other person. So, oh, uh, Cameron Young, uh, the rookie they drafted from Mississippi State. So I felt like those those just different names, not necessarily like totally totally better, and that kind of bears itself out um, at least until the Leonard Williams uh, acquisition. Uh, I expected the offense to be top ten ish, which I believe it is in efficiency right now. Like they're like tenth. I think the Chiefs are eleventh. So they're about where I expected there. I thought they would run the ball a lot better. Um, than they have been, or at least more consistently. 
Uh, I did think the the secondary would be much improved if they had a healthy Jamal Adams next to Quandre with Devin Witherspoon and Reek. But I just knew they would have some issues if they didn't step forward uh, in situational football, third down in the red zone, particularly on offense. I figured that those that would be their Achilles heel um, if they didn't you know, figure out how to be better in those situations. And what do you know? I'm not a very good red zone team on offense again, and they're a really, really bad uh, offensive team on third down. So um, this is kind of meeting my expectations. Uh, they may have gone about getting these expectations in a different path than I expected, but, yeah, this is right about – um, where I thought they'd be. It's just the reason I go big picture with you out of the gate is is like a, I'm a big Seahawk fan and you know I watch every game and uh, so get a little emotional, but also try to to be as objective as possible. And and with two games to go, relieved that the playoffs are still within the Seahawks' control, but also trying to remind myself and give myself the proper context of what this season means. And uh, you you talk to Pete all the time. You know, you're around him all the time. I think it got brought up in one of his pressers recently of, like, I th- maybe before the Eagles' Monday night game, like, what's at stake with all this? And he's like, everything. Everything's at stake, you know? And maybe I couldn't tell if that was coach speak, but it also felt it felt real, Michael Sean, in that, um, you know, this, this new iteration, this new evolution of Pete Carroll Seahawk football, it, it seemed a little bit fragile there <laughs> coming out of that losing streak. And it feels at a, at a better place now. Um, but what's the reality? Like, what, what's the through line of, of all that as you kind of place this version of Seahawk Pete Carroll football? Are we are we close to the end with this? Or, um, you know, what are the stakes that we're talking about with two games to go? Yeah, I think the, the stakes are just as high as they were heading into that Eagles game. So basically, going into the Eagles game, it was like do or die. You know, win or, or start booking, you know, trips to Cabo pretty much. And they're kind of hmm. still in that – Scenario: They can lose on Saturday, or excuse me, on Sunday, and still get into the playoffs. Um, but it'll it'll be much harder. Like a win, almost locks it up. Um, but I think I don't know if the era is potentially over. But I do think we're at a place where the guys in the building, particularly some of these new guys, whether they're young guys or they're old guys, they they need proof that this Pete Carroll stuff works. That there that there's something to this messaging. You know, because there's not that many people in the building left, or at least on the roster, that really know, like, hey, you know, if we just do what Pete says, everything will be all right. Now, they, they saw it on TV. They could read about it. They could see old film. But they still got to experience it for themselves. You know, like, look how many guys are on this team that are either in their first year with Pete or their second year with Pete. And they, they got to see it. You know, they got to know that, like, all this two-minute stuff that they practice will eventually pay off. They got to know that, like, this always-compete stuff isn't just going to isn't just coach speaking. It's eventually going to put the best 11 guys on the field on both sides of the ball. And just all this messaging is eventually going to get them out of a rut, you know. And I think that was huge because if you're the ownership of the Seahawks, my, I would imagine that the only reason that you would move on from Pete, you know, absent of like a complete meltdown, is if you feel that what he's selling is not being bought by the people that need to buy into it. Um, and that's why I think the Eagles win and even the Titans win the last couple weeks was very important because it does feel like, all right, cool, Jack, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba can see proof of concept. Um, a Ken Walker, a Zach Charbonnet, a Draymond Jones, a Julian Love, you know, a Reek Woolen can see proof of concept. Like, all right, cool. What Pete says, we buy it and believe in it and go execute it. We can go get this thing done, um, even in the face of adversity or a losing streak or, or whatever. And as long as Pete still has the locker room, as long as what he's selling is still being bought, I don't think, like, this era is in jeopardy of, of ending. 
Talking to Michael, Sean Dugar covers the Seahawks for The Athletic. Um, what's the latest on Jamal Adams and that saga over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, the, the Jamal thing is pretty strange because, um, I, I mean, I know his, his knee is in a bad place. I think he mentioned that after they, they beat the Browns. But, like, Pete's being a little weird about it. And he's and I said the word weird because he's he's balancing between, like, what feels like pretty significant extremes. Like, I'm not really sure how a guy that can be day-to-day and essentially be week-to-week but also be in danger of being shut down for the year. You know, now, the yeah. year doesn't have that many games left. But if you think about it, like, oh, yeah, we'll just look at him tomorrow. Oh, hey, uh, could he be shut down for the year? Oh, yeah, maybe. Like, well, hold on, man. Like, how bad is this need? Now, the answer might just be he doesn't know. But it does feel strange to list the guys day-to-day slash week-to-week, but also be like, yeah, now we thought about just not playing him again all year. I don't know how all those things can be true. Does he feel engaged? You know, and maybe that's part of it as well, and it's impossible to know. But the, the mental side of the game um, with Jamal, seems like it could be in play here as well and, and you know his social media behavior is all this is part of that i guess uh playing the little amateur psychologist but uh do you feel like jamal you know is he just thinking man i'm kind of over this i'm not sure i really want to come back um you know that's another good question i in full disclosure i haven't really talked to jamal since the the cowboys game yeah. uh i wasn't there um, when he had that scrum where he basically doubled down on making fun of the Jets reporter's wife and coming at the Jets reporter, I, I missed that. Um, so I don't necessarily know how he's feeling, but having covered Jamal for a little bit, I do know he takes everything really hard, um, and football seems to be one of the more important things in his life. You know, he in, in coming at the Jets reporter, you know, in his response with the local media, he was like, yeah, that guy came at something I love, which is football, so I came after something he loves, which was his wife. Now, he shouldn't have done that. He's tripping. But <laughs> I, I bring that up to say, like, Jamal sees, like, football as something he truly, truly loves, like, to, to the death, you know, to death do his part. Yeah. Um, and and I, he kind of reminds me, I'm about to sound old here for a second, right, but, like, I'm 31, um, and I, I have a, a, a kid now. And so my perspective on things have changed. And I talked to other guys on the team who were in that same boat. You know, Julian Love just had a kid. Drew Locke's wife is pregnant. A couple of other guys who are in my age range have small children. And it does make you just feel like, you know, my job is not the end of the world. I'm not about to go to war for every aspect of it or every criticism that I feel because of it or every setback that I experience due to it. Jamal doesn't seem to be that way. He's, he's behaving like a 27- or 28-year-old single cat, right? Like, oh, man, this is the end of the world if I can't go out here and, and play on this field and do this thing, right? And so guys take football – guys take sitting on the sideline tough, right? But you see the difference between a Devin Witherspoon doing it and Jamal doing it. You see the difference between Geno Smith doing it uh, on Monday Night Football versus Jamal Adams doing it, you know? Not necessarily that one way is right or wrong. But you can see the guys who are able to kind of put things in perspective and see things, see something being bigger than themselves. Um, and it just seems like Jamal is having an issue, you know, doing that because of his knee injury. And maybe other stuff going on with him, I'm not sure. But, yeah, he just seems to be uh, incapable right now or just choosing not to put, you know, things in perspective and kind of accept something bigger than himself, uh, at least on game day. You know, the quarterback position in Seattle has been a, a fun one to, to watch the last couple of years, and it's got its fair share of drama. In the last couple of weeks, it's had its fair share of drama. Oh, and by the way, the, uh, the you know legendary Seahawks quarterback of the past decade is going through his own drama in Denver right about now. Uh, I'll ask you about Russell here in a moment, but I'll start with Geno and, and looking over his past couple of weeks. And I'm one of those, you know, when I'm watching Geno, like I understand his limitations, 
um, as a as a fan and as a football watcher. So I'm not really all that disappointed when there's a bad play every now and then. Like I, I'm more thrilled by the positive plays that he he strings together. That Titans two minute drive was just man injected into my veins. It was so good, especially the ball to to Jackson over the middle and the the touchdown to Parkinson. But you know, other fans I interact with, Michael Sean Gino has one or two slip ups or you know looks bad on one or two plays. It's like ah, oh, go to Drew Locke already. I'm like, what are we doing? Uh, like, come on now. The, the, the guys play really good football, like impressive football for a season and a half. He isn't like outstanding, but he's been really good. Um, from your vantage point, you know, what have you made of A, Geno's performance, I guess, this season, but also B, um, you know, it had to been a tough decision and a, a tough operation to not play against the Eagles in that game. And I'm not sure where he was physically going into it, but, you know, from from being close to the situation, how do you read the last couple of weeks for Geno Smith? I think he's played decent ball uh, this season. A little inconsistent, uh, pressing a little bit. Um, I say he did a. He was pretty admirable in the way he handled all of those offensive line shuffles uh, in the beginning of the year because, like, their intended offensive line this this season was, I believe, the cheapest offensive line in in the league. You got two guys on rookie. Got three guys on rookie deals, um, and Damian Lewis, Abe Lucas, and then Charles Cross, and then you got two veterans on one-year, $4 million deals in Phil Haynes and Evan Brown. At least I, I know that's what Phil's is. Evans could be less or even uh, at that same number. Anyway, we got the cheapest O-line in the league, which is not bad, but it kind of indicates that if something goes wrong, you're probably screwed. Yeah. Um, and they were for a little bit there. They've played like four different right tackles this year, and none of them have been as, as good or as steady as Abe Lucas, him being back, is, is really, I think, impacted whoever plays quarterback in a positive way uh, in Seattle. You can just see the difference, particularly in that Dallas game. Like the first couple third downs, I was like, oh, okay, they're fine now. Like 72 is here. Um, and I think that's helped uh, settle Geno down a little bit, um, stop pressing a little bit, because um, he was. He was either holding on to the ball or trying to squeeze stuff where he shouldn't. It just, it just it was it was uncharacteristic stuff when you see him getting a little better uh, as the protection gets better, as guys start running the right routes and the timing's uh, starting to be there with his receivers and everything. So I think he's been playing fine. Um, on film, he looks fine, looks just like the same guy last year for the, for the most part. Um, so I, I think his, his confidence never wavered, but you could definitely tell he was pressing a little bit, maybe trying to do too much, trying to – if they fell into a hole, you know, trying to dial up some play where they get 12 points on one touchdown, and sometimes you just got to remind yourself, it doesn't work like that. You know, I think even Brock Purdy said that this week, you know, when they got down against the Ravens, he was like trying to get it all back in one drive. It's like that's not how that works. You know, you have to take it one play, one drive at a time to mount a comeback. So um, I think he's played fine. I know it was hard for him to sit against the Eagles, but I think he did a good job of being the best teammate he, he could be for Drew and for his whole team. Um, and, you know, kind of controlling the optics and the narrative, right? Like, no one questions Geno's commitment or his, his humility or his selflessness or his, his, uh, his value as a teammate because he was there, because he was on camera on national TV supporting his guy. And then Jamal kind of did the opposite and yeah. was like, oh, well, dang, now you're not there. You yeah. know, it's just sometimes the optics and perception, you gotta got to control a little bit of that, particularly for someone like Jamal who – who is upset and bothered by his, you know, perception in one direction or the other. So I think Geno's still like a future of the franchise um, guy, you know, at least, you know, playing for the next couple years, next two, three years. Um, He's he's got the stuff. He's just clearly one of the quarterbacks, and even Mahomes is bearing this out as well. He's just one of those quarterbacks who he needs the stuff around him to function properly. 
And if it doesn't, he's going to have issues consistently overcoming that. I don't think that's an indictment of him. That's the reality. I just rewatched the Super Bowl Mahomes loss. It's not easy to overcome your circumstances on offense, man. The dude is running for his life. You know, he just and that's the greatest quarterback I've ever seen, and even he couldn't overcome his circumstances, right? So Geno's in that same boat. He's not as good as Mahomes, but I do think he's in that same boat. Um, but if they can be better around him, I think he can take them, you know, where they want to go. You know, it's that's that's really good. Optics and perception, um, also at play down in Denver with with Russell Wilson and John Payton and all the news that's been coming out this week. And the dude's getting benched, and he's actually been playing you know decent ball this year. Uh, coming out of the valley from from the year before, man, I gotta know as someone that's covered Russ in Seattle for so long. And what's your perspective like of everything that's going on with Russ in Denver? Well, just from the, from the Seattle kind of view, this is like the most obvious case probably we've had in recent years in the NFL of the grass just not being green. You know, like Russ asked for this. He thought the grass would be greener. I mean, other than the direct deposit hitting, it's not really been that. You know, he's been under even more scrutiny than he has been under like the back end of some of those let Russ cook like MVP years. You know, he's just – the inability to control the narrative because you lack the benefit of the doubt, you know, in a, at a new franchise, it's just been obvious, you know, Earl Thomas went through a similar thing, you know, got over there to Baltimore and it's just like, dude, you ain't done nothing here. Like we've had Ed Reed, we've had great safeties, you know what I'm saying? You know, you got to earn your stripes around here. And then what do you know? He, he, he gets uh, bounced after a year or so being there. So that part is just so obvious that the grass was just not greener. I don't fault Russ for necessarily wanting to go see, um, but now that he's seen it, you know, it's just not, not going well. Um, in this particular instance, though, I just feel like in, in in this situation and with Hackett, it feels like he's kind of been set up to fail with the coaching situations both times, you know, uh, for different reasons. Like Hackett was just in over his head. It was very clear. Like it was clear like the first couple games when he needed to hire a, a game management assistant. I was like, oh, yeah, he's done. He's done in that town. Um, and then with Sean Payton, like he came right in. Uh, telling Russ to stop, you know, basically acting like a presidential candidate. He kind of just seems to just unilaterally uh, fire uh, Russ's private QB coach and, you know, announce to the world that he'd done it. Before. I don't even know if he did, if he told Russ before he told us, you know. Um, I just felt like Sean came in there trying to lay down the law a little bit too, too heavy, you know what I'm saying, just kind of overcompensate for all the power that Russ was perceived to have been given last year with Hackett. And he's like, nah, man, I'm going to make very clear that I run this thing. And it's just like, man, that's not how that should go. You can just be you and run the thing without going out of your way to make it clear that you're the guy who deserves to have, you know, an office and the quarterback does not. So I, in that regard, I do feel like Russ has not been totally set up for uh, success. And then this particular instance of the whole contract thing, I just think it's wild for your employer to come and ask you to make yourself more expendable. That's just nuts. Because that's exactly what happened. You can dress it up with certain language or whatever, but – the, the, the Broncos, according to pretty credible reporting from my colleagues at The Athletic and from Russ's mouth today, came in and said, hey, can you make it easier for us to get rid of you later? And Russ, and they, and they, Russ was like, no. And he was like, they were like, well, hey, just so you know, we might bench you, you know, if you do say no to this. That's nuts. That's nuts, man. That, that's nuts. I know Russ ain't played up to the contract, but when your employer comes down and says and threatens to keep you from working, and, uh, so they don't have to pay you an event of serious injury. That's that's why the NFLPA got involved. That's how you get sued, you know, whether you're an NFL team or, like, a welder's union or whatever. That's the type of stuff your union is for, and that's why they sue people. 
That is weird stuff going on over there. Um, that that's for sure. And we'll see what team Russ plays with next year. I'm very interested uh, in that. Michael, Sean, really appreciate your time, man. And uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you again uh, a time or two down the road. You follow him on Twitter at Mike Dugar and uh, get his work by subscribing to The Athletic. Seahawks, Steelers in the home finale on Sunday. Thanks for the time, Michael, Sean. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Have a good weekend. There he goes. Michael, Sean Dugar of The Athletic. Man, so much good stuff uh, to unpack out of that. But uh, also on the field, I mean, you got Mason Rudolph coming in. With uh, with the new look Steelers, you know, hopefully this is a tougher challenge for him than the Cincy defense he carved up in Pittsburgh uh, last Saturday. But we we shall see. Bounce break, come back, keep this thing moving right here on the Bald Face Truth.